Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Thursday, April 27th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. 13 Petersburg middle schoolers traveled to Juneau earlier this month to compete in the Native Youth Olympics against teams from all over the state. Petersburg's team has only existed for four years, but this year they finished the competition as the first place middle school team. Here's the story. Petersburg's middle school team had the highest number of top five finishers out of all of the events. Seventh grader Kaldor Ratliff is one of them. He got first place for the wrist carry, supporting his entire body weight with one wrist curled over a wooden stick. Calder held on like that for 27 seconds. You would put your wrist on a piece of wood, and with your other hand, you'd hold your wrist, and you'd basically hold yourself up um, in the air. Is that painful? Yeah, Yeah, it's really painful. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Juno's annual tournament includes 10 different games that test skills of strength, agility, endurance, and focus. The games are based on hunting and survival skills of the indigenous people of Alaska and across the Arctic going back thousands of years. But the tournament isn't just about athleticism. The students are taught to connect with the history and cultural significance of each game. Eighth grader Lincoln Odegaard competes in the seal hop event, where athletes hop on the floor in a push-up position. They use their hands and toes to propel themselves forward, like a seal. The athlete who travels the greatest distance is the winner. It's Lincoln's favorite event because of its traditional importance to hunters. I like the culture behind it. And for the culture, they used to, um, on the ice when there would be seals, they used to, like, go in that push-up position and hop towards the seal. Kind of like moving like a seal would on the ice, how they're kind of hopping up and down to get where they want. And then they'd just stand up and, like, spear the seal. In addition to having taken home the most medals, Petersburg's athletes were proud to have broken many of their own personal records. Eighth grader Nicole Durgan Ware had her best performance yet in the one-foot high kick. In this event... Athletes jump up with both feet, kick a ball with one foot, and, here's the kicker, return to the ground without losing their balance. I think my highlight was the one-foot high kick because it wasn't the one that I really, like, focused in on. That wasn't the event that I really focused in on out of the five. That was the one that I know that I beat my PR by a lot, just by a simple tip that the officials had given me while I was doing it. Petersburg's Native Youth Olympians say even with the competition, it was a supportive environment. Eighth grader Maria Toth says the camaraderie with the other teams helped her get through stage fright and improve her form. When we compete, everybody's gathered around in like kind of like a circle, like a semicircle around the ball. And so I felt really comfortable and like just like safe um, with like... Everybody, even though they were my opponents and I was trying to beat them, I felt really comfortable being with them. So usually I tend to have performance or like spotlight anxiety. So I like tend to like shake a lot or like get really nervous. But like for the last kind of high kick, even though these were all people I've never met before, I just felt like really, really comfortable. And I just, yeah. Jamie Cabral is Petersburg's Native Youth Olympics coach. He says the team's big win is special because this is only their fourth year competing. He says he's seen the team grow in numbers and skill from year to year. We just hope to keep it growing um, because it's something new and for them to 
to do as well as they did only being a four-year-old program is is pretty cool it's one of my favorite things to coach and they they hit it all i mean the camaraderie with the kids is amazing and they make lifelong friends the, the kids love it and that's that's why we do it and we hope we get more and they hope we hope they all stick it through high school and graduation so Cabral says he hopes Petersburg's team can hold on to the momentum they've built over the last year. He also thanks the volunteers and organizers who put together the tournament. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Western Alaska chum versus Eastern Aleutian sockeye. That's how many people are framing an Alaska Senate bill that aims to temporarily close Area M, a fishery off the Alaska Peninsula and Eastern Aleutian Islands. The Senate Judiciary Committee met last Friday to hear a testimony on a bill that would close June commercial salmon fishing there. Supporters of the bill say Area M's commercial fleet intercepts chum and Chinook salmon. They say it's contributed to a, to dismal returns to Bristol Bay and to the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. Salmon runs to the Delta have been so low in recent years that entire villages are struggling to catch enough fish for their communities. Democratic Senator Donnie Olson of Golovin so- sponsored the bill. His staffer, Almeria Alcantara, told the committee that temporarily closing Area M would give Chum and Chinook salmon a better chance of returning to their spawning grounds and stave off ecological collapse. This collapse has led to fishery closures along the rivers and their tributaries for all fishing types, which has had a severe impact to the subsistence and personal use harvests that residents rely on for their cultural, financial, and physical well-being. But support during the committee met uh, the committee meeting was mixed. While dozens of people spoke out in favor of the bill, many also spoke against it. Charlotte Levy is the Natural Resources Assistant Director for the Eastern Aleutian Borough, which is at the center of Area M. She told the committee the bill would unfairly hurt local fishermen in her region's small fishing communities. The closure of this fishery eventually seeks to value the lives of some Alaskans over others. These are under 60-foot small boat fleets. These are subsistence users. The bill is currently in committee with the Alaska Senate. If approved, the bill would still need to find support in the House. The Alaska Senate is set to propose a one-time boost to the amount of money allocated to each student in public schools around the state. The Senate Finance Committee proposed a 15% increase to the current amount school districts receive from the state per student. Finance Committee co-chair Bert Stedman says the funding is an increase from a plan floated earlier in the week. Under further consideration within the Senate, um, there was substantial support for the kids to increase that. So we um, have now put on the table... A $680 increase. The funding amount is disappointing to education advocates. They argue the per-student funding formula has hardly budged for years, even with sharp inflation. Lon Garrison, director of the Association of Alaska School Boards, says he's thankful for any increase in funding. But he says districts realistically would need double that to keep up with steep inflation in the past several years. It always means that we're probably going to lose a teacher or a program or something or an opportunity for students to 
um, you know, get a great education in the state of Alaska. Stedman told reporters he hopes to put the plan to the full Senate for a vote next week. From there, the House and Senate would have to agree on a budget plan, which faces challenges over the amount of the permanent fund dividend. The Senate is sticking with its plan to pay out a smaller dividend than usual, $13,000. That's much lower than the 27th, sorry, the $1,300. That's much lower than the $2,700 the House majority is proposing. The two chambers will have to find a compromise before the constitutional end of the session in about 20 days. In red, teal, and black, the Kaguantan totem pole stands tall in front of a mural of Elizabeth Paratrovich in downtown Juneau. At its base is a wolf with an eagle perched on its head. It's one of 12 totem poles that have been raised along the docks downtown recently. They're part of the Kutia Dei, or Totem Pole Trail, that Sea Alaska Heritage Institute is installing along the waterfront. Ricardo Worrell is the communications director for Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. It reaffirms, you know, our our place on our ancestral lands. It acknowledges that, you know, we've always been here. Worrell says that soon, signs will go out near each pole, explaining what they are and their significance, and people will be able to watch videos about the poles online. He says the poles need context. There have already been reports of people climbing on one for photos. We realize we're going to have to, you know, work with the community to educate everyone. This is not Disneyland. (laughs) He also plans to have shops downtown carry pamphlets about the poles, the clan histories they represent, and the artists who made them. Rural says getting the first 12 poles up has been a whirlwind. Some were raised Saturday morning, just before a traditional ceremony was held. 18 more poles are planned, but there isn't a set timeline. Rural said it will likely be a multi-year process. You know, I think there's just so much excitement still. Um, surrounding the polls that we, you know, we want to capitalize on that and, and sort of keep the, keep the ball rolling. The first 12 polls were funded by a $2.9 million grant from the Mellon Foundation and featured renowned artists from Tringet, Haidet, and Simtian communities. World said a, World said SHI is speaking with Alaska's congressional delegation about possible federal funding for the remaining totem polls. Sitka has created a task force to make recommendations on the long-term impact of increased tourism in the community. The tourism task force will face many challenges in the coming year. The first, which was tackled by the Sitka Assembly, was deciding whom to put on the panel in order to represent the widest possible interests in the community. Robert Woolsey reports in Sitka. It's not often that municipal commissions have more applicants than seats in Sitka, but that was the case with the Tourism Task Force, which had 16 residents apply for nine seats. Several seats are weighted toward cruise industry interests, and there wasn't any debate over filling the tribal, cruise terminal, and tours attraction seats. A couple of other seats, representing the Port and Harbors Commission and Sitka's Sustainability Commission, only had one applicant each. The general business seat, however, was more contested. Three applicants wanted the slot, including Cambria Holmes, who owns Campfire Kitchen. 
Holmes said her views on cruise tourism were shaped by living in Haines and seeing what was going on in nearby Skagway. I would look over there and want to cry because it was everything's owned by the cruise ships. It was just polar opposites. And I felt like when I moved to Sitka, it had a really nice balance to it. And I want to find a good balance where Sitka benefits, money can come and it can stay, and we can not be destroyed by turning into Skagway Part 2. Holmes won an appointment to the task force. Showing up and speaking did not guarantee a spot. Shirley Robards was one of two applicants for the downtown business corridor seat. Her business, Stereo North, is celebrating its 40th anniversary soon. Robards discussed her history and her good relationship with other downtown businesses, but the assembly opted instead to appoint Jim Mishner, the co-owner of Alaska Pure Sea Salt Company. The most highly contested seats were for Community at Large, which had six applicants for two positions. During public testimony, former assembly member Richard Wien suggested that the commission needed better balancing and would benefit from more at-large members. If I were you, uh, there are six on there. I would nominate them all and let them all sit and give their opinions. Ween's view was seconded by Eric Jordan, a longtime outspoken community advocate in Sitka. The Assembly, however, didn't have the freedom to amend the ordinance creating the Tourism Task Force. Instead, they chose applicants with broad constituencies. Former assembly member and 40-year resident Phyllis Hackett was picked for the eighth seat. I also have a really deep sense of the importance of Sitka as a community and a lifestyle here for the residents. And I know that the the summer is very important to the residents that live here year-round. And I really believe we need to find a good balance. I've watched Juno and I've watched Ketchikan and I've watched Skagway. I've watched all these communities over the years go through their changes with tourism. And I'm, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned for Sitka. The ninth seat went to Rich McClear, a former employee of KCAW and current volunteer at the station, who has both a long record of community service as well as a passion for cruising fostered by his grandfather, who came to America working as a ship's steward. McClear has become an avid world traveler in retirement and is a student of the cruise industry. And recently I've been following what other communities are doing to try and look at the tourism situation. I've looked at the memorandums of understanding that uh, Bar Harbor, Maine and Juneau have come up with. I've looked at the ordinances that uh, Bar Harbor and Portland and Key West have tried to pass. I've looked at some of the uh, controversies in Cove, Ireland and Bora Bora. All these communities are facing the same issue. How do we preserve the essential nature of our community while having business flourish? The Sitka Tourism Task Force will have a year to do its work in five major areas, ranging from determining an appropriate level of tourism in the community to land use regulations. Its final task will be to determine whether a year from now, It should be dissolved and replaced by a permanent Sitka Tourism Commission. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. KFSK is celebrating National Poetry Month by sharing poetry readings each weekday. Today's poetry reading features Joe Sebastian. This is a poem uh, I wrote down in Craig. Uh, While visiting Craig, I happened to be on Fish Egg Island. And the view from Fish Egg Island 
is just a series of continual clear cuts as far as the eye can see that are all from various native corporations. The name of this poem is called Grandfather's Trees. The forest clothed and fed my people since memory began. We took only what we needed. The forest was one with our clan. Planks for houses split by hand, bent boxes, root baskets, cedar capes, hats, and clothes, giant sea-going canoes, and family crest poles. Every need was provided for by the forest of our grandfathers. Deer and bear and salmon too, berries and pitch and roots for healing brews. Our grandfather's forest was part of our souls too. But grandfather's days are gone, and white man's ways and modern times are what we need to do. We've corporate boards, conscience-free, created by Angska. We fell for the plan. The white man snickers as stumps fill our lands. There is a hole where my heart used to be. We've cut the boles of our grandfather's trees. These are modern times of comfort, plenty, and ease, providing you got lots of the green grease. We took all we could get. It's our due, don't you see? Grandfather's long gone, and so are his trees. My big house, my fine car, and everything new. We've taken the best and left little for you. My riches, my suits, my power corporate position. To you little people, our native corp need not listen. But you've got your share of the loot we plundered and logged. See it on the street, boom boxes loud. New cars, new trucks, and other wealth untold. All from the bones of our grandfathers, from his trees that we sold. Great forests we felled with the stroke of a pen, and jobs created too. But once the forests were down and gone, the jobs too were few. But I got mine, too bad for you. We've knocked down mountains and forests rich, vast, and tall. We've gathered up its riches. The corporation laid claim to all. We took all we could get and left little behind. The Russian czars themselves could not have done no better. Our native corpse stole more than Baranov himself, and we did him one better. These great forests stood there, full of myth, magic, life, and lore, ready to share their spirit and joy. Countless generations of our people, sheltered, warmed, and fed. We knocked all that down, and their grave trees too, with help from Don, Frank, and Ted. It's a modern world. You have to adjust. The dollar rules all. All else is rust. 
the corporation has taken the best, and now the devil can gather up the rest. Grandfather, how could I know? I got mine and left little behind. How much I missed your ways. It's a modern world. I did not know that by taking so much, I killed your spirit, Grandfather, body, heart, and forest soul. For those who are not yet born, who grew up in the ruins of my work, stumps and slash and dog-hair trees, forgive me, young ones, we did not count how much we took. For I got mine, we took all the best we could get, and we left little of any worth behind for any of you or the rest. These poetry readings are a production of KFSK, pre presented throughout the month of April. The readings are aired at approximately 8.08 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. You can listen to many poetry readings on our website, kfsk.org.